Today, the problem with some pastors who preach is though they've gone through the truth, the truth has not gone through them. And there's no sense of urgency. There's no sense of readiness. It's as if they were simply giving a dry, dusty lecture. I want to tell you, Timothy, you're to preach it. You're to preach it readily, urgently. You're to preach it, as Jeremiah said, like there's a fire in your bones. Hello, and welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is senior pastor at Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We're nearing the end of our study in the book of 2 Timothy, and as we enter chapter 4 today, we find the Apostle Paul charging his son in the faith, Timothy, with the responsibility of preaching the Word of God without stammer or stutter and without soft-soaping it. Paul knew that hearing the truth was difficult for people, but he also knew that the truth was what people needed to hear and that salvation comes through the truth of God. So let's join Pastor Brogy as he begins a message entitled, Standing Firm in the Last Days. Today we come to the very last words written by the Apostle Paul just before he goes home to be with the Lord. Now according to a very reliable tradition, we know that Paul was beheaded there in the Ostian Way in the city of Rome. And he has written to young Timothy, his son in the faith. And when he writes to him, he writes with no regrets. He's lived a life that is well lived because he's lived it for Jesus Christ. And so he awaits nothing but the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to him on that day. And as he opens his heart to dear precious Timothy, the one whom he led to Christ, he exhorts him one final time, This is such a powerful chapter, we can't cover it in one day. But let me set the context for you. Remember uh, one last time as we think our way through Timothy, and it's always helpful to get the big picture of a book, so when 2 Timothy comes to your mind, you'll say, well, I know what 2 Timothy is about. If it's about anything, it's about the gospel. If you remember, the book divides into four major sections. It happens, in this case, to follow the chapter divisions. In chapter 1, The focus is to guard the gospel. Timothy is told, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. In chapter 2, the theme and focus is on suffering for the gospel. He says, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Remember Jesus Christ according to my gospel for which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal. Chapter 3, his admonition is to continue in the gospel. He reminds him, but evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things which you have been convinced of. Then finally in chapter 4, the focus is to preach the gospel. He writes, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Now that is the message that the 21st century church needs to so desperately hear. We need a new generation of Timothys who will take the gospel torch, men and women who are willing to guard the gospel because it's like a precious treasure. People who are willing to suffer for the gospel because there's a cost if you live for Jesus Christ. People who will continue in the gospel and live for it because there's nothing better. And people who will preach the gospel because that is what the world needs to hear. So that's basically 
the book of 2 Timothy. Or to say it in another way, you could say that the uh, theme of the very first chapter for Timothy, if you'll bring that up there, is to be unashamed. Be unashamed, Timothy, of the gospel. Why? Because many have been ashamed. All in Asia had deserted Paul with the exception of the household of Onesiphorus. But Timothy, don't you be ashamed of my chains. You live for Christ no matter what. In chapter 2, he tells him to be strong. Timothy, I want you to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You don't have the ability in yourself. You need the strength that God alone can give. And to help him to see that, he gives him six metaphors that really describe not just Timothy, but ought to describe every Christian. Six figures of speech, that of a soldier, an athlete, a farmer, a workman, a vessel, and a bondservant. And he warns him in chapter 3 to be ready. Be ready, Timothy, because a day is coming, a day of apostasy, when men will depart from the truth, they'll leave the faith, and with that day, as you preach for what's right, will come persecution. And so to be forewarned is to be forearmed. Be ready, Timothy. And then chapter 4, be outspoken. Preach the word, because the time will come when people won't want to hear it. But not only preach it in the church, preach it outside the church, do the work of an evangelist. Now that's the book of 2 Timothy. I hope you have it by now as we've meditated on it these last three months. Today, we want to look at just five verses, 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning now in verse 1. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Why? For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accord to their own desires. And will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Now, if you remember from chapter 3, and those chapter divisions are artificial, but if you remember from that third chapter, Paul has been recounting for Timothy what the last days will be like. He uses a very technical Greek term. He calls it difficult times, harsh, painful, perilous, savage days. The word is used only in one other place in all the New Testament of the two Gadarene demoniacs. You know what they were like. Exceedingly violent days. And from the description of the kinds of people that he tells us will be alive and functioning in these last days, we learn at least four or five things. Number one, it will be more challenging than ever to walk with God because sin will abound. Temptation will be everywhere. And we're living in that very day when lawlessness is increased and men's hearts have grown cold. But may I remind you that God's grace is sufficient for any kind of situation. Second, we learn from the description of the last days that it will be more difficult for people to keep their marriage vows, that men will be truce breakers. They will not be faithful to that holy promise they made in the presence of God. Third, we learn that there will be increased rebelliousness in children, that children will be disobedient to parents. Fourth, as Jesus pointed out as well in the last of the last days, there would be gross perversion as seen in the homosexuality of our day. Fifth, we saw that the activity of Satan will come in the name of religion. 
and that men will become more brutal and far more threatening to those who stand for truth. And we studied that while indeed this, this had application for Timothy's day, because he says to him, avoid such men as these, is especially true for our day. Because Paul tells us in the third chapter that these days would go from bad to worse, that things ultimately will not get better but worse. Jesus said, indeed, lawlessness will increase. He likened it to a woman in labor where the frequency and intensity of these things will come down upon us as we move towards the return of his son. And so here in this 21st century, we have witnessed things that all imagination would have defied two or three decades ago. Just looking back three decades, today we have a diet of filth in film and on television and on the internet that no one could have ever imagined. Men don't even blush at it anymore. In Jeremiah's words, we've become a nation of unblushables. These things don't seem to bother us. In very limited places, people don't have to lock their houses. But in most places today, you need to lock everything down. It's not safe to go down the street like it once was, especially at night. Magazines used to be vehicles for informative journalism. Now they are simply vehicles to communicate lewd, sensual, and sometimes even violent exposés. The government, an institution once held in great honor and esteem, now politicians very often are not servants of the people, but self-serving. Marriage vows that used to be held as sacred are not valued at all today. I mean, people sometimes marry just two and three years, and they've already divorced. Children are being abused. These are harsh, difficult, perilous, awful days, but days in which we can trust God. God is in control. He is on his throne. He knows what he is about. And so the question that we really need to ask and answer for ourselves is how do we live in days like these? Well, Paul gives us the answer here in the fourth chapter. Look at verse 1 as he opens with a charge. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. It's a charge based on the fact that Christ is going to appear, and when he appears, he's going to judge the living and the dead. It's a serious moment for Timothy as he hears this. Paul is reminding him in the very presence of God, by the Spirit of God, and in the presence of Christ, I am charging you, Timothy. And really, it's a solemn charge, not just for Timothy, but for us all. The fact that someday, eyeball to eyeball, face to face, those of us who know Christ in heaven will give an account for our service to him. And that ought to motivate us to faithfully and carefully carry out and fulfill the ministry and the call that he's put on each of our lives. It should deliver us from trying to simply please men. It ought to burn in us a desire to want to please no one else ultimately but God. Now to draw out uh, three aspects of this charge, Paul first gives us the mandate with the charge. That is precisely what it is that Timothy is to do. Then he gives us the motivation for the charge. Why is it that he is supposed to do it? And then finally, he gives us the method of the charge. How is that charge to be carried out? So first there in your note-taking outline, consider with me the mandate with the charge. The essence of the charge is really summed up in three words. He says, I charge you, and omitting the rest of verse 1 for a moment, he says, I charge you, preach the word. 
Now notice that the message that he is to preach is the word. And we've seen many equivalents already of this in this chapter. In verse 3, he speaks of the sound teaching. In verse 4, he mentions the truth. In verse 7, he mentions the faith. In chapter 1, he mentions the deposit. In chapter 2, he mentions the gospel. So Paul doesn't really need to specify for him when he says preach the word what he means. He's just finished the end of the third chapter by saying all scripture is inspired by God. So he knows what he means. He's speaking in reference to the scripture. Scripture there not limited simply to the Old Testament though that is included, the Old Testament that Timothy had learned from childhood. But Paul also in that context includes my teaching, his writings as an apostle, and by extension and application, all of the apostolic writings. And so when he speaks here of the word, the faith, the deposit, he's speaking of what we call the Bible, the Old and New Testaments. Preach the word, that's your responsibility. Now Timothy is to preach it in such a way that it will please God. You see, it's not enough just to hear God's word, to uh, believe God's word is true, to guard God's word, to suffer for God's word. Timothy, you have to preach God's word. See, a lot of Christians today are defending the word of God, but they're not preaching the word of God. We need to go past defending, past suffering, past believing to preaching it. Because if it doesn't come out of our lips and into the minds and mouths of other people, they're not going to know how to get saved and those who are saved how they ought to live. And so the word is to be preached to both sinners and to saints. What's so pitiful in our day is that the preaching of the word of God has taken a back seat. And so churches are substituting many things that in and of themselves may be good, but they become bad when they usurp the authority and the priority that God gives to the preaching of the word. Now the word here, preach, in the original is keruso. It's a word that was used of a herald. A herald didn't come to preach his message. He came to preach the message of a king. And he came to preach it in a loud, clear way so that it could be heard and heeded. He was not like an ambassador that would come and negotiate with people as to whether they wanted to keep part of it or all of it. He came and heralded the message, and the message was to be obeyed. They needed to heed what the king said, and certainly if they did not, they were in deep trouble, and certainly if they abused the messenger, they were even in worse trouble. And so he's saying, preach the word. Having given that charge, he now gives four marks as to how he ought to preach it. First, I want you to notice we're to preach the word urgently. We read here in verse 2, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Now this word here, be ready, cannot be translated with a single English word. It literally means to stand by so as to be ready. It was used in the first century of a Roman guard at his post, awaiting the enemy, ready, alert, knowing that the enemy was coming after him. In the same way, the RSV picks up the other nuance of the word, and that is the word urgent. There we read, preach the word, be urgent in season and out of season. So the word speaks both of alertness and urgency. The Phillips paraphrases the verse, preach the word, never lose your sense of urgency. Now, you cannot preach the word of God in a listless, lackadaisical way because all true biblical preaching comes with a sense of urgency, with a sense of readiness. It's announcing the sinner's plight. 
It's announcing a precipice that men are headed for for an eternity in a liquid lake of fire. It is a message that will rescue men from the horrors of hell, but it is also a message that needs to preach urgently and readily to God's people that they might know how to live, that they might mature in Christ and be used of God to glorify His name. And so this desire to preach urgently and readily comes out of Paul's heart. Now today, the problem with some pastors who preach is though they've gone through the truth, the truth has not gone through them. And there's no sense of urgency. There's no sense of readiness. It's as if they were simply giving a dry, dusty lecture. I want to tell you, Timothy, you're to preach it. You're to preach it readily, urgently. You're to preach it, as Jeremiah said, like there's a fire in your bones. Richard Baxter, the great 17th century pastor, wrote a book called The Reformed Pastor. I read it in seminary. I would recommend it for any preacher, really any Christian. In 1656, in this classic work, he penned these words. Whatever you do, let the people see that you are of good earnest. You cannot break men's hearts by jesting with them or telling them a smooth tale or patching up a gaudy oration. Men will not cast away their dearest pleasures upon a drowsy request of one that seemeth not to mean as he speaks or to care much whether his request be granted. The people are to see a preacher who is so gripped by the truth that he is ready to unloose God's message that they might know it. Preach the word, be ready in season, and out of season. Now, Timothy, you need to be diligent. You need to be alert. And you need to do this consistently. Notice, in season and out of season. When you feel like it and when you don't feel like it. When it's convenient and when it's not convenient. Thursday, I started my day early, had appointments all day when I came in, and finally... Uh, had what I thought was my last appointment because my 8.30 appointment didn't look like they were going to show, but I waited a few minutes, about 8.45. I got a phone call. I said, I just got out of work, running late. I understood. I'll wait for you. Came about 9.10. Got home that night about 11 o'clock. Hadn't eaten since breakfast. It wasn't convenient, but God wanted me to share the Word of God that night. Preach the Word in season, out of season. Whether it's convenient or not, you need to be faithful, Timothy, you need to preach it with all of your heart. You know, we look today for reasons not to preach the Word. We make excuses why we shouldn't share the Word. We've got our own schedule and our own thing to do. When Paul tells the church at Colossus, we ought to be praying for opportunities that God will give us an open door in which to preach. Paul found opportunities in all kinds of places, in palaces before kings, in prisons where men were chained to him, in ships that were tossed to and fro by waves, in temple courts where the religious hoi polloi was of his day, wherever he was, he preached the word. Solomon so wisely said in the book of Ecclesiastes, he who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. Contextually, the Living Bible paraphrases it, if you wait for perfect conditions, you will never get anything done. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. The new RSV says, be persistent whether the time is favorable or unfavorable. The Living Bible says, in season and out of season when it's convenient and when it's not. This by no means is a command to be insensitive and brash and intruding on other people's privacy when we are not welcomed. 
And unfortunately, quite often, done by good, well-meaning Christians, we have kicked open doors to give people the gospel when God didn't open the door, and it was obvious that their hearts weren't open. There is a time Jesus taught to withhold the gospel. So the favorable or unfavorable, the convenient or the inconvenient time is in relation to the speaker, not in relation to the hearer. God may open a door of opportunity, and if he opens it, we need to step through it, whether you feel like it or not. He may give you the chance to share the gospel when you're planning to do something else. And you need to yield to self, die to self, and do what God calls you to do. And so this is not a biblical warrant for intrusive behavior, for rudeness. Rather, this is really an appeal against laziness and self-centeredness. So Timothy, first I want you to see, preach the word, and when you preach it, preach it urgently. Secondly, we are to preach the word revealingly. We are to preach it revealingly as we continue in verse 2. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. And if we're preaching it revealingly, there will be at least three dimensions to our preaching. It will involve reproving, rebuking, and exhorting. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. Preaching is to be relevant. And indeed, it is relevant when these three dimensions are found in a man's preaching. Now, the first word here, reprove, is to point out behavior that basically is in violation of God's will and God's way. It has the idea of both convicting and convincing people of what God's standard is and how they're called to live by that standard. The second word is a stronger word, this word rebuke, and it means to place blame. As the word of God is open... As people hear what God says, blame quite often is put upon them from Holy Scripture. But people need to see something else. People need not simply be reproved and rebuked. They also need our encouragement. People need to see how, one, their sin can be forgiven, two, how their lives can be strengthened, how they can be different. To quote an old rule of preachers, a preacher, a pastor, is to afflict the comfortable and to comfort the afflicted. And so we can go to one of two extremes. If there's conviction, but no remedy, then basically we've just added to people's burdens. At the other end of the spectrum, if we try to encourage people who need to be rebuked and challenged in their sin, then basically we are assisting them to continue in that path and condoning their wrong choices. So when you preach, preach urgently, preach revealingly. Third, we are to preach the word patiently. Again, verse 2, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, and then he adds, with great patience. And so while we are to preach with a sense of urgency, longing for people to respond to the word of God, we must also preach patiently. The herald, as he preaches the word of God, will not always see the immediate results. As we share Christ, we need to wait for the fruit to mature. Sometimes you plant seeds. Sometimes you harvest them. Sometimes you come alongside and you water them and you nurture them. But you don't always see immediate fruit. And I've seen very often in meetings human pressure and human manipulation applied to the audience where they get quote-unquote decisions but not conversions. He is warning him here that he is to preach the Word of God and he is to preach it patiently. The Holy Spirit is the one who ultimately allows a person to make a decision. Only He can open their eyes and only they can choose to respond to that opening. 
Now, the Scripture teaches we're to preach in season and out of season, but it also teaches that we will bear fruit in due season. I see this in the church, and I've seen it in my ministry over the years. There are times when people just continually and constantly seem to be coming to Christ. And then there will be a period of time when God just says, be patient. And then it will happen all over again, and it comes in cycles, in seasonal cycles. The same is often true with God's people, and I know it to be true in my own life, where all of a sudden God speaks in a profound way, and there's a key decision that catapults you in many ways to a new level of maturity in Christ. And then God's people just faithfully stay that course, and it happens again. In season and out of season, whether it's convenient or not, we wait upon the Lord because conversions in growth ultimately is a work of the Holy Spirit. So we preach patiently. So then finally, he says, we must preach the word doctrinally. Look again in verse 2. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience, and then he adds, and instruction. Now, Paul is giving a proper balance that needs to be heated in our day because not only are we to preach the word, we are to teach the word, and the two are never separated in Scripture. A pastor is not simply to tell stories and give a lot of interesting illustrations or read a verse here and there and then forget it. No, true preaching carefully explains what the Bible says, what it means, and how it applies to our life. Now, there's a tendency in our day when we think of this word instruction. In the old King James, it's translated doctrine. That somehow doctrine or teaching or instruction is just dry and academic. Yet doctrine is alive. It is pulsating. It reveals who God is and what He is about. Doctrine is a picture of God's ways and God's wants and what God's people are called to be. It's not dry and dusty. It is life-changing. And we dare not preach anything else because God tells us that we are to preach with instruction. And if we don't, we end up just unfolding our own mind and giving people the wisdom of men instead of the Word of God. Now, one of the pastoral requirements for a man to be qualified to serve in the office of elder is he needs to be apt to teach. He needs to be sound in doctrine. And if he's not apt to teach and sound in doctrine, he shouldn't be a preacher. And so, Paul was one who basically did what he is now admonishing Timothy to do. If you remember, Timothy is in the city of Ephesus. Paul spent three years in Ephesus, and that city he spent more time than in any city in his entire life in ministry. And when he gathered together those Ephesian elders there at that beach at Miletus, he reminded them that for three years he declared uh, everything that was profitable, and he taught them publicly from house to house. He declared that he taught anything that was profitable in teaching you publicly from house to house, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. And so the mandate is very clear to Timothy. Timothy, I want you to preach the Word with a sense of urgency, with a sense of revealing truth and behavior and what God has called us to do. You need to do it patiently, and you need to do it doctrinally with great instruction. Paul mandated a charge to Timothy to preach the Word, to reprove, rebuke, and to exhort If more pastors took that charge seriously, the modern-day church would be on fire for Christ. To listen again to today's message, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. 
You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program 2TM8, entitled Standing Firm in the Last Days. Tomorrow, Dr. Berge begins a look at the motivation for Paul's mandate to Timothy. Join us then when we search the scriptures.